Well, good morning. My name is Ken Smith. I finished up the men's retreat yesterday, and uh, I just want to give a little bit of word of advice. Uh, a buddy of mine went to a marriage retreat over in Alabama and went home and walked in the living room. He said, sweetheart, I've been to a men's retreat. Here's the deal. From now on, I'm king of the house. When I come home in the afternoon, I want an ice cold Coca-Cola. Take my shoes off, massage my feet, put me in a nice, comfortable chair, give me a remote control, turn the TV on to ESPN, you go back in the back room and fix me something to eat. And when you're finished, bring it in to me and let me eat it. And then when I get through with that, you go ahead and run me some warm bath water and massage my back and, and, and put me in the bed and tuck me in. And then, and then in the morning when I get up, you know who's going to comb my hair? She said, well, the field director, if I don't have you cremated. Uh, <laughs> So, so don't get your instruction from the retreat and getting messed up, okay? Don't go home and be that way. We talked to you about being servant this weekend, being a courageous servant. I am thrilled to be here with Sydney and the little guy that does your music. Uh, <laughs> everybody ought to have a wind-up toy, you know what I mean? <laughs> he kind of reminds me of the Energizer Bunny, doesn't he? Just, I just love him. He's just the greatest thing in the world. And when he grows up and to be old like Sidney, he'll be something else because he loves Jesus so much. Now, I told him being yesterday that, that introductions don't mean a lot to me, and, and, and it's a good thing because Sidney introduced me. And uh, <laughs> so I had to tell you who I am. But I do a lot of work with college teens. But probably the most exciting thing I've done, about three years ago, I was invited by the American Football Coaches Association uh, to give the keynote address to all the American football coaches. Now, if you know anything about AFCA, all the college coaches have to come to that to get certified. And so every coach in the country comes, and Grant Taft is head of the organization. He called me and he said, look, we want you to, to come out to San Diego and speak to the American Football Coaches Association. And I just want to say to you, we've never had anybody that wasn't a coach. And I'm just a little bit nervous about asking a preacher to come. And he had his assistant called. And over and over, they kept saying, don't preach. Just come here and speak to the coaches. And so I, I said, relax. I said, tell me a little bit about it. He said, well, we'll fly you first class, and we'll pay you $2,500, and you got 24 minutes. I said, let me pray about that. When is it? <laughs> <laughs> and he gave me a date. And so, guys... You got to get this picture. I've been speaking in churches all over the United States of America. We're talking about secret six motels. We're talking about, uh, we're talking about barely getting gas mileage. And somebody going to fly me first class and pay me $2,500 for 23 minutes? I think I can meet those criteria. I went to Orlando, got on a first class plane, flew to San Diego, California. Woo! I kept saying to myself, I am something else now going to speak to the American Football Coach Association. Landed out there, one of them guys in a uniform holding up the sign, Mr. Smith. I said, that's me. <laughs> Got in the limousine, rode out to my hotel. The desk clerk said, you've already been checked in, Mr. Smith. Your dinner's upstairs. Uh, you, we're glad you're here, and here's the schedule when you're supposed to speak. Now, y'all, I walked in that lobby, and every football coach I'd admired all my life was there. I mean, you name them, and they were there, and I was thinking, son of a gun. I'm thinking to preach to these guys. I'm thinking to tell them that I'm going to be a Keynote speaker, $2,500 for 24 minutes. <laughs> what a moment, what a moment. And I went on, got some sleep, got the next morning, got on the elevator, rode the elevator down to where I'm going to speak, and it's just 
amazing. Breakfast and on the elevator was Lou Holtz and Tommy Tuberville and Bobby Bowden. Coach Bowden was the one I think had arranged for me to do that because I'd worked at Florida State for him. And so I'm on the elevator with these three guys. And Coach Bowden said, Ken's going to give the keynote address. And everybody's kind of looking about wondering who I was. And I thought, $2,500, 24 minutes. <laughs> 24 minutes. So I go in and sit at the head table. I got breakfast served to us, you know. And, and I sit down to eat breakfast. And they don't, <laughs> I got one pad of butter. I said to the young man waiting until I said, sir, I'd like another pad of butter. He said, there's only one per person. I said, you probably don't know this. Uh, but they fixed pay me $2,500 to give a keynote address. They flew me first class from Orlando, Florida, out here to San Diego. I stayed in the suite last night, had my meal in my room. I fixed speak 24 minutes. I think they'll spare a second pad of butter for me. <laughs> he said, do you know who I am? I said, I don't have a clue who you are. He said, I'm the guy in charge of the margin, and you ain't going to get but one patty. <laughs> so I learned quick. The introduction don't make any difference. And uh, I did a good job, and they paid me. And, and uh, I don't remember what I said, but it was $2,500, 24 minutes. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, it's good to be with you all. Let me kind of set up what I've got to do. And, and I have a friend that wrote me last week that told me that he had figured out what had happened to him physically. He said, I was in the shower the other day, and I read on the back of the bottle it, with, with shampoo flowing out of my hair, will increase body and volume. He said, that's why I'm overweight. <laughs> that shampoo has been running out of my body for all these years. That's increasing my body and my volume. He said, I'm now, though, going to correct it because I'm now showering with dish laundry detergent. It says removes fat and grease easier. <laughs> and so... So instruction for what I'm about to do. I'm finishing up the men's retreat. I'm, I'm going to finish up what we did yesterday and kind of build off all they said, but not all of y'all were there, and some of you are wives. I, let's just assume that what I'm going to talk about today has to do with your general walk in Christ. I really honestly believe that we need to, to take a real hard look every time we gather to worship and sing praises to God about what God expects from us. So sermon title is simple. The sermon title is just do it. Um, it's kind of an interesting story. You probably know all I'm about to tell you, but there was a track star named Martin in Oregon who he and his uh, coach, I think his name was Philip Knight, I believe was his name. I don't remember the two, but the two of them formed a shoe company called Blue Ribbon Sports. And what they did was they sold ASIC tennis shoes out of the trunk of their car. Japanese tennis shoe that wasn't sold in America at that time in 1971 and they sold those tennis shoes and made a lot of money and then they said to themselves why don't we make our own tennis shoes and so they found the manufacturer and began to make tennis shoes and they wanted to figure out how they could do better and then make more money so after forming a blue ribbon sports shoe they opened a shop uh, out near them in Portland, Oregon, and they hired Carolyn Davidson in 1971. And they said to Carolyn, we need some kind of symbol to put on our shoes. And for $35, she designed a swish, a check. But now they needed a logo. So I want you to get this. In 1974, they hired Don Wyden 
to come up with a slogan for their tennis shoe company with the shh. And Don Weidman, for $50, was watching the news that night, and Gary Gilmore, a mass murderer, was about to be executed. They put a microphone in front of Gilmore and said, any last words? They put it in front of him, and guess what he said? <laughs> Just do it! And son of a gun, whoosh, just do it, was born. And all these years later, they're millionaires. They now own Cole Han shoes and all kinds of shoes. For $76, that advertising campaign was put into place. Can you imagine? Well, you need to just do it in faith. You need just to make up your mind to do it. Get on with this thing called faith. Don't just sit in a chair on Sunday morning and sing three songs and hold your hands up and feel all gushy inside. Get Jesus Christ in your life. Transform your life. And just be what you ought to be. Now, where in the world can we find a story that would help us? Well, I want you to look in your Bibles in Luke chapter 5, verse 1 through 11. And I told the guys yesterday, don't be alarmed if I start reading before you get there. We always mark our place in the Bible, and we feel spiritually superior to you when we start reading before you find it. So um, it's okay to find it. It's Luke chapter 5. If you're here and you've never had a Bible in your lap before, it's in the New Testament if you're a Presbyterian. If you're a Pentecostal, it's early in the New Testament in Luke, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And if you're a Baptist, I don't care how many times you've read it, you need to read it again. <laughs> All right, Luke chapter 5, verse 1 through 11. My whole, this may be my most favorite passage of Scripture. I've probably preached from this passage of Scripture more than any other Scripture in the Bible besides resurrection passages because this is where Jesus gets the folks that are going to do it in the kingdom of God. If Simon Peter doesn't get it this morning, if he doesn't do what Jesus tells him, Simon Peter would not preach and the gospel would not spread from Rome all the way to England and then to you. You would not have been a Christian. If Simon Peter blows this assignment this morning, you'd have never heard the gospel. So it's a pretty important passage of Scripture. But what's even more important is that these are the people that Jesus is going to use to bring the kingdom of God into the world. And he's going to take these guys and, and change the world. And so I would suggest to you, if you're here, I've been doing this for years and years and years, and I solidly believe that if you, we're going to transform our world, it's going to happen because of men like yesterday who become courageous as men, by believers like us who decide that the faith is important, who begin to translate the gospel into our everyday life and take it to the world. If we don't do that, the world's not going to be reached. I've worked for 20-something years with the Billy Graham Association, and we did all the grand crusades, and I've got 17 crusade pictures that I'm officially a part of the crusade, but I want you to know, I think those days have passed. I think we're now living in a time where the story that Sidney described this morning is the story of how the gospel is going to be spread. I met this guy, and I met this guy, and I talked to this guy, and this guy talked to his wife, and this, he and his wife talked to their kids, and here we are, and people come into the kingdom of God. By the way, I might point out that the whole structure of the Billy Graham crusade was based on the Operation Andrew concept, which was that every time they had a meeting of any crusade we ever had, if we're planning on building the stage, the end of that meeting was Operation Andrew. 
And everybody that was on that committee usually were carpenters and, and contractors would sit down and they would list three people that they knew that didn't know Jesus. And they would pray for them before they left. So all 116 committees that put together a Graham Crusade a year in advance, every time they met, every time they met, they would meet and close by praying for three people that they knew that were lost. And guess what? 70% of the people that came to Christ and Billy Graham Crusades, those people started coming down the aisle, they were people who had been prayed for and invited by those people who were on committees for the Graham Crusade. That's how it's been working for years. It's still going to work that way. But how do we do that? How do we just do it? Here we go. Follow along with me. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It's the Offensive Lineman's Translation of the Bible. It, it's simple and plain. One day. Not a revival time. Nobody's singing 31 stanzas of just as I am. It's not a holy day. It's not a holiday. They're not having a tent meeting. It's just one day. As Jesus was preaching on the shore on the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them there and were washing their nets. Stop and insert biblical commentary insight for our audience who may not be familiar with story. Close parentheses and tell that. Here's the deal. Mount Hermon was at the end of the Sea of Galilee. It was always covered with snow. Even in the warmest day, Mount Hermon had snow on it. Wind would blow across that snow, meet the desert temperature down below, flow across the Sea of Galilee, and explode in thunderstorms like we get in Florida. It always happened in the daytime. So guess what? They fished at night to avoid the storms. So get the picture. They're finishing the night, washing their nets on the seashore because they're coming back that night to do it again. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge. Verse 3, stepping into one of the boats. Whatever else you hear me say today, understand this that whatever boat you're paddling, Jesus wants to be in it. Whatever boat you got, Jesus wants to be a part of it. And if you're going to be all that God wants you to be, you're going to let him get in your boat. You say, but my boat's not very clean, not very nice. He knows that. That's why he died on the cross. He's covering you. Grace is about grace, which means that there's nothing you've got to be and do for him to get in your boat. you just got to give him an invitation. Jesus steps into the boat and asks Simon, its owner, to push out into the water. So he, so he sat in the boat, taught the crowd from there. When he finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master Simon replied, We worked hard all last night. Insert parenthetical remark to keep audience informed. I don't think he thought Jesus was real bright. He had never fished before. I can imagine a good old boy seeing Jesus telling him where to fish, saying to himself, it, this is in the Greek. Hoss, I do this for a living. <laughs> I watch Jerusalem Channel 4. I know when it rains and thunders. I know when the fish bite. And to be candid with you, I make my living do this. But because you say so, <laughs> I let down my nets. And this time, their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, 
Oh, Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they'd caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. Just do it. From now on, we'll be fishing for people. As soon as they landed, they left everything and followed him. Now, in the next 10 minutes, I'm going to tell you three simple points about what it takes to do it. I'm going to talk about what Jesus wants from you. And please don't let this be for them. I'm not talking to them. I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you, and I'm talking to you, and I'm talking to her, and I'm talking to him. Let Jesus do in your life what he did that day. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. Before we do, let's talk to him. Would you bow your heads and hearts just a minute? Father... This is the meat of this deal. I'm fixing to try to take people and meet them where they are to go where you want them to be. Now, you know us better than we know ourselves, so you know the stuff that makes up our life. You, you know what we're struggling with. You know, the money runs out before the month, and the marriage is stretched to limits, and we got tests facing us medically that we're not sure what the end result's going to be. We got mothers and dads that are battling cancer. We've got friends who've lost their job. Some of us have lost our job. God, you know all that stuff. Before we ever got here, you knew that. You know those who came today desiring to meet you and know you and understand you and walk with you. And you know those who are here because it's a habit they're in. You know those who are here because a spouse insisted on it. You know those who are here for show and not for commitment. You know all that. So meet us where we are and call us to be where you want us to be. Above everything else we hear, may we hear the quiet shuffling of sandal feet. You know the one who is to teach in his sins. Forgive him. And you know what they need to hear. Make them listen. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, whatever you do when you read the Bible, this, this is instruction from an old guy with gray hair. Whenever you read the Bible, don't just read it. Live it. Understand what's going on. Over here, you got the religious people. They taught King James, how do thou doeth the death, doing fineth. And they're following Jesus down the beach side. This is a traveling Sunday school class. They're walking down the beach. Over here, you have the riffraff. They're stripped down to their waist. They had a bath for days. Deodorant had been invented. They stink to high heaven. They're common, everyday, ordinary men sitting over here fishing to go home. Over here. And over here, the, the religious people. Thee thou. And it is extremely intriguing to me that when Jesus gets ready to do his work, he preaches to the Sunday school crowd, but he calls to the everyday guys. That just blows my mind. That would be like coming here on Sunday morning and saying, we're glad you all are here, but where's the riffraff? I got something I want him to do. That's kind of what he did. And so he says, there are three significant truths I don't want you to miss. I'm going to talk fast now. You listen fast because I want to beat the Methodist to the restaurant. <laughs> you ready? Number one, I want you to notice, please, that Jesus invades the everyday. On my website, 
Uh, I have a quote from George McLeod. It says this. I simply argue that Jesus was not crucified in a church between two candles, but on a cross between two thieves. At the town garbage heap, where cynics hurled insults and soldiers gambled and thieves cursed, it was a crossroad, a cosmopolitan place, so cosmopolitan they had to write his name in three languages, Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek. It was where Jesus chose to die. And those were the people Jesus chose to die for. And then McLeod's quote ends by saying, that's what the church ought to be. That's what the church ought to be about. Those kind of people in the everyday world. If I'd have been writing the Bible, I wouldn't have told y'all what God told you. I wouldn't have told you that Moses was a liar and a murderer. He was, but don't tell anybody. I wouldn't have told you that Abraham lied all the time. Never trusted God, had to wait till he was 90-something years old to get a child and had to name his first kid laughing because he thought it was so funny they thought his wife was pregnant at 99. She thought it was funny too. She'd just gotten through with hot flashes and now she's going to have a baby. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a tough time. It, it, I wouldn't have told you all about Simon Peter. I mean, he denied Jesus and walked away. I wouldn't, he actually cursed and walked away from Jesus. I don't know the man, blankety, blankety, blank, X mark, and walked away. I wouldn't have told you about Paul. He killed people for a living, especially religious people. I'd have picked nice, spiritual, holy people like we're in the Sunday school class <laughs> who were godly and spoke King James English. I wouldn't have picked that riffraff, but Jesus always does. Now, I've been preaching since... Forever, I was a classmate of Moses, waiter to Last Supper. I've been around a long time. <laughs> and I've been in a lot of churches. I'll tell you what I know about all y'all. All y'all are a bunch of turkeys. <laughs> you're not going to do very much. You're going to sit around a pew and sing two songs. You're going to go home and get $3 worth of God. That's all you want. But the fact of the matter is, God still uses you and wants to use you. I know what you say. Well, I'm not a very good guy. And I want to say, amen, you're not. But Jesus has been using folks like you all of his ministry. I can't find one holy person he called. He hung out with hookers and thieves, and they called him a friend of sinners. Invited him to the largest keg party in all of Jerusalem at Cana at a wedding feast, changed the water into wine. I don't care what the Baptists tell you. It was wine. It was good wine. <laughs> That's the place he hung out. And those were the people that he loved deeply, which means... There's good news for you. That's point number one. Hang with me, going to two. Please notice that in order to be doing all God wants you to do, you've got to fish deeper than you've been fishing. I'm writing a book now. I'm hoping to be my last thing I ever try to write. It's called My Second Greatest Love Affair with Institutional Church. And I've got a, it's a collection of essays. And one of the first chapters deals with the thing I've observed most after 30, 50 years of preaching is that our churches are full of people who are an inch deep and a mile wide. I meet Christians all the time who are what uh, Leo Idle in Louisville, Kentucky calls fans of Jesus. They're not followers of Jesus. They like him. They think he's a nice guy. But they're just fans. 
they're not going to commit anything to it. And they just want a little bit of Jesus, enough to make them feel good. They don't want enough to change their life and make them love a black man or a Mexican migrant. They want just enough Jesus to, to know that when they die, they're going to go to heaven. Not enough to make sure that they, they live ethically and morally in the world in which they live. I mean, they want just enough of Jesus. But Jesus wants you to fish deeper. He wants you to be more than you are. Don't you dare come in this church and say you believe in Jesus and not grow in the Word. Get in the Bible. Get in the Bible study group. Get, you live in an age that there's no excuse for biblical ignorance. Amen. You can go to an average bookstore in America and find any Bible study on anything you want to find it. Get your group of people and grow in Christ. Amen. Get better than you are. Do more than you do. You know, I'm, 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 I'm deeply amazed that Tim Tebow was, a, was an anathema to our culture. You know why? Because we didn't know anybody was that serious about their faith. <coughs> and here's a guy who thinks that something's more important than scoring a touchdown. It's honoring God. And the world says, you're forcing religion down our throat. You know why they say that? Because the rest of us have been living so shallow. And Tebow looks like a weirdo. When you and I ought to be more like Tebow than we really are. We ought to honor God with everything we do and everything we say and every place we walk. Fish a little deeper. I, I read this, and I, this is one of the neatest quotes I've ever read in my life. He was a missionary going to a, a group of Indians in South America. And he found a quote that he put in his Bible on a Saturday night. I want to read it to you quickly. I'm a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have the Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. I've stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. I will not look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense, and my future is secure. I'm finished and done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tame visions, mundane talking, chintzy giving, and dwarf gold. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, top, recognized, praised, regarded, rewarded. I now live by presence, learn by faith, love by patience, lift by prayer, and labor by power. My pace is set, my gate is fast, my goal is heaven, my road is narrow, my way is rough, my companions are few, my guide is reliable, my mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, deterred, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of adversity, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, back up, let up, or shut up until I preached up, prayed up, paid up, stored up, and stayed up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. I must go until he returns and give until I drop Preach until all know and work until he comes. And when he comes to get his own, he will have no problem recognizing me. My colors will be clear, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am a follower. He boarded a plane, and the first day on the ground in South America with a strange group of Indians, he was killed. 24 hours after he wrote that in his Bible. The beautiful story is that his wife went back to the same place. And she's now been there for over 20 years. 
and thousands of people are coming to Christ from that tribe that killed her husband because she too was a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. That, my friend, is deep fishing. And that, my friend, will change our world. And that, my friend, will fill up our nets. And that, my friend, will glorify the King of Kings. That's why we sing, bow down. Because that's what it means to give it all. Well, one other thing, we'll be through. We're ready to take off to beat the Methodist. It starts in the everyday life that you live. It demands deep fishing. And thirdly, the essential ingredient of doing it is brokenness. I want you to notice this exchange between Jesus and Peter. It, it takes my breath away quite candidly. Uh, he sees a great catch of fish, and he wrote a book, and he got his wife a blonde wig. They went on TV, and he um, uh, titled his book, I Fished with Jesus. And uh, she cried a lot. They raised a lot of money. No, no. That, <laughs> that's what we do. I'm sorry. What the book says is he saw this, understood who Jesus was, and fell down before him and said, I am a sinner. Wow. <laughs> or backwards, wow. Upside down, mom. It, do, do you know what that said about following Christ? It says he must increase and I must decrease. I must recognize I'm a sinner. Let, let me tell you what I know. And y'all are in the town that can really personify that. Y'all in Wildwood. When I came to Leesburg High School to coach football in 1968, Wildwood was a bad town. They'd beaten us like 20 years in a row at Leesburg High School. They were a little bitty tiny school over here. I'm pointing out that we whipped them in the year I was there. But, uh, but this was a town full of good old boys. That's where I grew up. I'm a good old southern good old boy from Mississippi. You know what good old boys do? We pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We don't back away from no fight. We're in charge of our life. Don't you mess with me, boy. That's where I was raised. Don't walk away from no fight. Days work for a day's pay. Man got to be strong. That's great life goals. But it's sorry, biblical theology. If you think you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get your life together on your wonderful string, strength you've got, you're dumber than I look. <laughs> the only way in the world that God can use you is that you have a broken experience where you say, God, I am a sinner. Would you use me? Now, you hadn't been to seminary, so you don't know what the Greek is, but Jesus said, you're right, Peter, you're sorry. But just don't be afraid. Get up. We're going to fish for men. Let me tell you a story to draw all this together from yesterday and today. A new hero for you. His name is Ryan Suckup, S-U-C-C-O-P. If you don't know him, you'll know after today because I'm going to tell you something about him I think is the most amazing thing in the world. In the NFL, 19, uh, 2009, 
2009 it was, in the NFL draft, the last player selected is dubbed Mr. Irrelevant, and they give him a Lozman Trophy. You football fans, you, the Gress player, you get a Heisman Trophy. When you're the last player in the draft, they give you a Lozman Trophy, and they give you a jersey with the number on it of the last number drafted in the NFL, 256. <laughs> Mr. Irrelevant. It is in Ryan Suckup's room in his office. Ryan's a believer in Christ, quite a unique individual. Signed for the grand total of $51,000. Woo! Number one draft choice that year, signed for $21.2 million. He signed for $50,000. I think the Pro Bowl's on this afternoon. Check it. I'm almost positive Ryan Suckup is all pro. He signed a contract this last year after he'd won five ball games for the Kansas City Chiefs on last-second field goals for $1.9 million. Mr. Irrelevant has become Mr. Millionaire. Mr. Nobody has become somebody. Named Pro Special Teams Player of the Week nine times this year, which gave him $100,000 every time he was named. That's not a bad year's work. Mr. Irrelevant, Lozman, all-pro kicker. What happened? Transformed. Like a fisherman by seashore. To be somebody who looked at Jesus and said, shoot. I'll just do it. And that's what the book says. And thank goodness the book never lies. Would you bow your heads and your hearts with me? Father, there's never been a better time to just do it. Men have been away for the weekend and they've learned about being courageous followers of yours. Would you help them just do it? There are those who go to Bible studies all the time and sing songs all the time about how great you are and how awesome you are. And they go out just like they came in. Lord, would you help them just do it? What I know is they can't until they walk with you. So right here in the quietness of this moment and nobody's looking at nobody. Eyes are closed, hearts are open. Would you speak to hearts here? Is that you calling us, Lord, and telling us to do what we're supposed to do? <laughs> are you calling us to tell us to do and be all we're supposed to be? I think it is. I, I, I think you brought us here to make us deal with you. We think too often we're Mr. Irrelevant when candidly, you're exactly what you've been looking for. So, Lord, this morning, I pray with all of my heart that hearts would be open. With all eyes closed and all hearts open, if you're here and you've, you've never asked Christ into your life, if any place you go to church, you'll know at Heritage, it's not about religion. It's about a relationship. 
I would pray that you would begin that relationship even now by saying, Jesus, I, I, I'm tired of being Mr. Irrelevant. I want to be used by you. Please come into my heart. Or maybe you would say, I've been fishing so shallow all my life. I'm ready to fish a little deeper. God, help me to fish deeper. Or maybe we'd simply say, God, I've never been broken. I, I've been in a Baptist church. I've been in a Methodist church. I've been in church all my life. I, I've never been broken, but I want to be. God, you know what you need to do in these lives. And I trust that you will do that. Even now. Let us be open to you. And just do it. Is my prayer. In Jesus' name. Amen. Sydney.